We're in a two-part series called Ghosted. It's Pentecost Sunday, and I thought we should take a moment to pause and reflect on the Holy Ghost, which is just another name for the Holy Spirit of God. I believe the Holy Spirit is God's fulfillment of his promise that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. And we live in a culture, and we live in relationships where people get abandoned and left and dropped all the time. And we live in the wake of a relational environment that's like that. People who are hurting, who don't trust, who detach, who distance themselves from each other, who are slow to join into intimacy relationally, and who carry baggage, who carry wounds from past hurts. And those people, many of us, most of us, bring that same mentality and relationship to God. We're slow to trust, worried at some level that at some point, at any point, God would abandon us and leave us. But the character and the nature and the will of God is not only that he is faithful and he cannot be unfaithful. It's not only that he says he won't leave you and it's not only that he says he won't forsake you. The promise of the God of the Bible is that he is Emmanuel, which means he is God who is with you every day of your life, forever and for always. So we don't have to worry about being ghosted by God as long as we're filled with the Holy Ghost of God. Amen? Title of the message today is God is with you. Touch your neighbor and say, God is with you. Tell your other neighbor, he's with you too. And tell yourself, God is with me. Hallelujah. We're going to be in Philippians 2. Go ahead and stand to your feet for the reading of the word of God. Philippians 2, we're going to read verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Spirit of the living God, Jesus, we invite you into this space to speak to us and to fill us afresh. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that would understand what the Spirit of the living God is saying to us this morning. You are welcome here, Lord. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Philippi to encourage them to walk out their faith as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. These are people much like us who have been redeemed by God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They are blood-bought. They are redeemed of the Lord. They are new creations in Christ. And now they have to figure out how to live that way. And it turns out it's a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. This last weekend, we had a couple of friends of ours in the church. They had their very first baby. This weekend, they welcomed home their baby, uh, their first baby girl. And we were texting about it over the weekend. He was telling me the birth story and, you know, all the intense drama that always comes with every delivery. And it just took me right back to seven years ago when Michelle and I welcomed our first son into the world. There's something special about that first baby because you've never done it before. And there's nine months of great excitement, anticipation, and buildup. And by the end of the nine months, you are now, you're like, you're not just excited. You're like, you're exhausted. You're like ready for the baby to come. And then in a moment, it's time. And you rush to the hospital and, or you have your appointment or whatever it is. And, and then you've got a labor and it's this intense, dramatic, you know, for us, it was like hours. It was like forever. Some people have it super fast. But regardless, you have this intense, dramatic moment. And then the baby comes and then there's people flying all over the place. There's things happening. You're, you're, just, you're just caught up in it. And then you finally get to the recovery room where you can just catch your breath. The baby's there. Everything's okay. And you get this five-star treatment from these 
L&D and recovery nurses who are angels from heaven. Can we just thank L&D nurses, recovery nurses in the house? They are the best. I, most are probably not here. They're probably working and catching this on a, on a lunch break. So shout out. Thank you. I know we have many in our, in our church. But they are gifts from God because you come out of all of that. There's all the, you know, just the trauma and the drama and the excitement. And you've got this baby you don't know what to do with. And they just, they're zipping in. They're zipping out. They're bringing you diapers and wipes. They're showing you how to do this. They're saying, don't worry about that. They're getting this for your wife or for yourself or, or whatever it is. They're just so helpful. You've got experts for every need, 24 hours a day. They'll take your baby to the nursery for you. They'll let you sleep. They'll give you more drugs. They'll do whatever you need to make you feel comfortable and happy. And you just like, by day two, you're like, yo, I got this. I can do this. This is, this is not as hard as I thought. I'm tired, but, but this is great. And then that third day comes and they start packing up your room and you're like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm not ready to be left alone yet. No, 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 no. You guys are coming with me, right? They say, no, we need the room by one. We got another family that's coming in. Pack up your things. It's time to go. And you're going, if you're me at least, I'm going like, um, excuse me, uh, two days ago I had zero children. Today I have one children. I don't, I don't, nothing changed in me. I don't know what to do. Can I get at least one nurse to come home with me, please? You don't trust the car seat. You don't trust the car in the drive home. You watch them all they sleep. Sleep while the baby sleeps. Are you kidding? It's like worry while the baby sleeps. Is he breathing? What's going All you know is that you've got this precious gift, this new life, this, this thing that you've dreamt of, that you've waited for, that you're so glad to have, but you just don't want to screw it up. You just don't want to hurt it. And yet right before you leave the hospital, they show you four videos on all the ways you could do damage to the child. And it's like, all right, have a nice life. Go on. You guys got it. You'll figure it out. It'll be fine. You've got this precious gift from God. You just don't want to screw it up. Whether you're ready or not, you've got to figure out how to raise a child. And when it comes to our faith in Jesus, we find ourselves in the same point. We come to faith. We confess our sins. We repent. We turn to Jesus. He gives us this precious gift, this new life, hope for eternity, salvation. He washes us clean. He makes us new. And then he's like, all right, man, get out of there. Back in the world. You got it. Ready or not, man, you got it. The Spirit of God is with you. Back into the same relationships. Back into the same dysfunctional family. Back into the same toxic work environment. You got it. And we're going like, I mean, I've got this gift. I've got this new life, but I just don't want to screw it up. What do I do with it? How do I make sure this thing doesn't just all fall apart as soon as it gets started? And I believe Paul is writing that to the church in Philippi. They find themselves in this place where now that they've been saved, they've got to figure out how to work out their salvation. You don't work for your salvation, but you have to work out your salvation. What does it mean to be a Christian? What kind of music can you listen to? What kind of words can you say? What kind of places can you go? What kind of people can you date? How do you do this without screwing it up? How do you take this new life that God's given you and not damage it and not ruin it? And then Paul says, don't just figure out how to work it out. Work it out with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation, always holding in mind humble awe and reverence that honors the price of the gift that was paid for you. Live every day of your life respecting God as the Lord of your life and as the one who had to come rescue you. 
walk this thing out, figure it out, but do it submitted in reverence to God. I got the fear part down. (laughs) Most of us still working on the reverence part. And you go, how do we do that? How do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and hold all things together, all things in tension at all times? And the answer is you don't do it alone is the answer. You do it, but God does it with you. That's the beauty of our God is that when he comes to save us, he comes to save us. And then he dwells with us. He resides with us and he helps us. It says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is with you. He's with you. And when he's with you, God does a couple things. He begins to change your will. And when he changes your will, it begins to change your works, what you do. And when you get your will and your works in line with God, you get to experience his good pleasure. I want to talk about changing your will. Changing your will and desires is one of the hardest and yet one of the most important parts about being a Christian. And it's hard because all of us are stuck in our ways. We like what we like and we don't like what we don't like. So I'm going to Target. I'm not going to Walmart. I'm going to Costco. I'm not going to BJ's, okay? I need it at night. I need it 68 degrees, not 66 degrees, not 70 degrees. I need it 68 degrees. And if you get it off by a degree, it's going to be a problem in here. Do you understand? I need my car to have all the features that I want it to have. I need my man to have all the features that I want him to have, okay? By this point in my life, I was supposed to have this job with this much money, this title, this relationship, and this many kids. And that's what I had said for myself. That's what I want. And if I don't have it, I get all twisted up inside. Changing your will is so hard because you're stuck in your preferences. And if any of those little preferences aren't met, how many of you know you get so angry? I said almond milk in my latte, sir. (laughs) Done got this whole milk in my latte. What am I supposed to do on this Monday? You ruin my whole day. And that's the little stuff. And yet following Jesus requires us to form new desires in our soul. We've got to want new things. And it's hard because we're stuck in our old ways. Now, the good news is, ideally, hopefully, what brought you to Jesus in the first place was that you were experiencing a dissatisfaction with what you were getting out of your life when you were getting it the way you thought you wanted it. Ideally, Hopefully, you come to Jesus pre-dissatisfied with your life. And that's a good thing. That's a good starting point. That's where we ought to start at. The bad news is what Paul says to the churches in Rome, in Romans 7, where Paul goes, I don't understand my own actions. I do not do the things I want to do, and I do all the things I hate. And this isn't Paul like a few moments after Jesus' revelation on the road to Damascus. This is Paul like after years of ministry, years of writing epistles in scripture, years of walking with the Lord, great revelations of who God is. And he is still going, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Everything I want to do, I don't do that. All the stuff I hate, I find myself always doing it. So the good news is we want to change. The bad news is we have no power to change. The best news is that God doesn't come just to save you. God comes to utterly transform you. God is not satisfied only with your salvation. He wants to make you entirely and completely new. So that heart issue you bring to God, your stubbornness, oh, he's coming for that. Oh, yes, he is. Those doubts and those fears that you have that you hold on to and cling to, oh, he's he's coming for that too. 
All those wrong desires, those wrong appetites that you can't stop craving after, oh yes, Jesus comes for that as well. And the beauty is God by his Holy Spirit does not leave you to fight those battles by yourself. The Holy Spirit of God is with you, helping to rewire your desires. Moving from desiring what you used to want to the new things that you ought to want is a battle of will. It's a battle of willpower. Your will is what you want in life. It's what you're after. It's your ambitions. It's your desires. It's the things that you want. And your will is a part of your soul. We believe the soul is three parts. It's mind, will, and emotions. Your mind, what you think, your attitudes that you hold, everything that happens up here, your will, what you desire, what you want in life, and then your emotions, how you feel and how you respond to situations. That makes up your soul. And your soul is the essence of your identity. Like if you understood how my mind worked, the thoughts that I, th- that I think, my will and my desires, and then my emotional responses to the world around me, you would have a very good understanding of who I was and what I was like. It's the essence of my identity. It's my soul. But my soul is different from my spirit. My spirit is the part of me that allows me to connect with and engage the supernatural, specifically God. And it is my spirit that has influence over my soul. So if I wanna change the way I think, the things that I want, and how I feel, my spirit needs to change. And this is what's so beautiful about God is that when we come to him and he saves us and he redeems us, he doesn't just upgrade our spirit. He doesn't just give us like spirit 2.0. Like you, you, get the, you get the next version up, he cleans it off, dusts it off like a fixer upper, you know, he just repanels the floor and puts some shiplap on the walls and all that. No, 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 God knocks down the whole house and gives you his full presence. And it's the whole spirit of God with you that begins to change and rewire your soul. Listen to this, Romans 8, those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. If I walk by the spirit, I set my, my mind will follow the things of the spirit. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. When we get our spirit in line with the creator's, Our mind becomes new. What we think about changes. And what we think about changes. What we believe changes. And when what what we believe changes, what we do changes. And when we begin thinking on the things of God, walking in the ways of God, we find ourselves in the presence of God. And Psalm 16 says that in the presence of God, there is the fullness of joy. Do you see how the spirit of God changes your mind, your will, and your emotions? If we can get in his presence and be aligned with him, that's what he does. In that process, it needs a kickstart. Like it doesn't happen naturally. You don't just wake up and go like, yes, I'm doing that today. It needs something that serves as a catalyst to your life changing. And that catalyst comes by the spirit of God. And that catalyst is called the conviction of sin. Now I knew I was not going to get any amens (laughs) on the conviction of sin on this Sunday. And I get it. We live in a very therapeutic society, which I'm actually, I'm not mad about at all. In many ways, that has been a blessing to a lot of people. They've been able to heal their inner child, deal with past traumas. Uh, We've had tools, mechanisms, language, and outlets to get emotionally healthy. 
Many of us have learned to hold space for other people as they process through grief. And many are able to now in this environment learn how to not suppress pain, but to process pain and work through it with others. And that is a good thing. We need to do that. Therapy is not bad. It's healthy. It's a gift from God. But any good gift from God will also come with a dark side that the devil tries to corrupt it with. And so what we have is an environment where it's okay to be working on pain and to, and to, be, to be introspective and to not try to solve all your problems, but just begin to work through them and figure them out. And what the lie comes in as on the backside is that you should never have to feel bad about yourself. You should never have to be made to feel guilty. And you should never feel any shame whatsoever. We're in an environment where the dark side says we have to show unconditional acceptance, unconditional uh, approval of all people at all times and in every way. But there cannot be the repentance of sin if there is not first the conviction of it. And that conviction comes by feeling shame for what we have done. And that is a gift from God. See, most of us, we suppress the shame. Now listen, we don't want you living in shame. That's the truth. But it's not that you can never feel it. Because a heart that knows the heart of the Father, that that knows that God loves them, and then disobeys, betrays, and rebels against that relationship, that ought to prick your heart and make you go, Lord, I'm sorry. But a heart that goes, well, that's who I am. That's what I am. That's how my family raised me. What you want me to do about it? That heart is never finding mercy in Jesus because they won't turn to see him because they think that's just how it's supposed to be. We have to wrestle with the reality that God hates sin. He doesn't hate you, but he hates sin. And he hates sin actually because he loves you. Because sin is the thing that separates you from him. Sin is the thing that hurts you the most. Sin is the thing that hurts others the most. Sin is our conscious, everyday, daily decision to reject our creator and to choose ourselves over him. To to walk away from him and to walk after the world. And God hates that because God wants to be with you. God cares for you deeply. He wants you to experience life in his goodness and in his grace and in the intimacy between him and you. And the spirit of God helps us get there. Adam and Eve in the garden, they let some bad code into the system, okay? There's a virus got into the created order and it has infected every person and every generation for all of eternity. We are all born with this natural instinctive rebellion to God in this obsession with ourselves. And when we get a revelation of God, like when we get a taste of his goodness, when our eyes are opened to him, we begin to feel convicted that that rebellion is in me as well. And that betrayal, it resides in my heart. I don't even know, I didn't even put it there. I don't even know where it came from. 
And that is the gift of God leading you back to him. The Holy Spirit is like your Norton antivirus system, okay? It's like your ADT home security, all right? We gotta stop rejecting the conviction of the Holy Spirit and start seeing it as a self-defense mechanism, God working on your behalf to save you and to preserve you from doing ultimate harm and damage to all the relationships in your life. It starts sounding the alarm. Hello, red alert, hello, don't go there, don't do that, don't say that. It's not going to be good for you. And we go, don't make me feel bad about myself. This is my sin. It's my thing. And I love it. It makes me feel good. God hates your sin because your sin is trying to destroy you. And your father in heaven does not want to see your life destroyed. He wants to see you live a vibrant and abundant life in his glorious grace. The beauty of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on. God is with you, helping you be so dissatisfied with the way you live that you repent and turn to him. You invite the Holy Spirit and you begin listening to what the Spirit of God has to say to you. The beauty of the Holy Spirit is that God is not like me when I'm trying to correct my children. Usually I'm in the kitchen, they're in the playroom, and I hear some noise and I go, hey, yo, cut that out. Yo, quit that. Because I'm in a different room doing a different thing. And I really don't want to walk all the way over there, I'll just be honest with you. It doesn't work, but I do it. God is not like me. You know why? God is not in another room. God is not in another place. God is not far away from you. He's not distant from you. God is right up with you, right up next to you. So when the conviction comes, listen, it comes quietly. It comes like a whisper. It comes like a, hey, hey, hey. Think about it. Take a minute. God is close to you. And because he's close, he can speak softly to you. We just need to open our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. And when we do that, what we do in our life begins to change. The reason the Spirit works first to change our will is that our desires dictate what we do. And our will informs our actions. And it is our actions that communicate to the world the truth about Jesus. For better or for worse, the Bible says they will know you by your deeds. So God is coming to help us fix what we do, and it starts with what we think. I want to take you back for a moment to the uh, opening scriptures of the Bible in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, to see how the Spirit of God helps us accomplish this in, in our lives. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Let's read in. Let's talk about it real quick. I ask you to circle a couple things or say them back to me. In the beginning, God, someone say God, God, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and it was void. And there was darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, somebody say Spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, somebody say God said, let there be light and there was light. 
Here's what we see, three things. There was God, eternally, always present, before the moment of creation, after the moment of creation, God was always there. In this moment, we find him standing before the earth, before the earth had form. It was void, which means it was lifeless, it was desolate, there was nothing there. It did not have shape, it did not even have light. There was nothing in this space of which God occupied at the moment before the creation narrative takes place. Just God in the formless void darkness that would become the earth. But there was another person there. It says spirit of God was there. It doesn't say in the beginning God and then later God. It says in the beginning God and then later the spirit of God was hovering, which I always thought was interesting. So that, that word spirit is the Hebrew word ruach. So my favorite Hebrew words in all of scripture, ruach. You got to get it in your throat on the CH, ruach. Yeah, you really sound real Hebrew now, ruach. It's the spirit of God. It's that inner life-giving creative force. It's also translated as the breath of, breath of God. You see how they're connected though? The spirit, that inner invisible life-giving force, the breath that you have in your lungs, that inner life-giving invisible uh, 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 creative force. How do you know if someone's living? Are they, are they breathing? And so at the moment of creation, there's God in the spirit of God. And God is about to create. And in order to create, he's got to send forth his spirit to do the work of bringing about creation. And so how does God send forth his spirit? It says, and then God said, see, when you speak, if you were to hold your hand in front of your mouth and say a few words, you would feel something brushing up on your hand. Hopefully not spittle. (laughs) Hopefully all you'd feel is your breath. Because when you speak, your breath is released. And when God speaks, his spirit is released. So when God comes to the moment of creation, it says, and then God said, and his breath was released. And the spirit went forth into a place that was formless. All of a sudden, it was formed. In a place that was void of life, all of a sudden, life started springing up. In a place that was dark, all of a sudden, light came and shone in the darkness. Because it is the word of God that releases the spirit of God to accomplish the work of God in your life. And when God speaks, his spirit moves. And when his spirit moves, things change. Environments spring to light. Dark places shine with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that spirit that God uses at the moment of creation is the same spirit God has put down in your belly on this Sunday morning. Which means that when you speak, if the spirit of God is on your life, your words have the power to bring life into dead places. And when you speak to dark environments, your words have the power to bring the light of the gospel into dark places. That means you, son and daughter, you are a life giver. You are a light bringer. You are a hope restorer. You are a faith igniter because you have in you what God had at creation, which is power, authority, dominion, and the ability to bring light into dark places and to bring life where things have died. Don't you for one minute forget who your daddy is. He put in your belly the same spirit that filled Christ. And you have authority in this earth to speak the word of God. You looking at an environment that's dead and lifeless, speak the word of God and watch his spirit be released. You're in a workplace that's dark, 
It's hopeless. Speak the word of God and let the light of the gospel of Jesus light up the darkness. You're looking at a place where there's no hope. You better speak the word of God and watch the spirit of God bring things to life in your environment. You have in you what God had at creation. Ability to speak and to see things move. When your mind is aligned with Jesus Christ, when your mouth is full of the word of God, the spirit that comes out of you brings life and light. This is what God has called you to in the earth. We got a destiny and a calling on our life that is greater than we understand. We get caught up in the mundane and the little things. And yet there is a high calling that God has called us to in this earth, to be salt and to be light. And there is no limit to what God can do through you if you're obedient to his word and submitted to his spirit. Listen, God is with you. The spirit and the power of God is with you. He is there. And when you get your will corrected, and submitted to God. When the things you do start to change, the words you begin to speak start to change, you get to experience the pleasure of God. The pleasure of God is one of the greatest joys you will get to experience on the earth. It's that feeling that God is pleased with me, that he's happy with me, that the aroma coming off of my life is pleasing and acceptable to him. There's nothing like that feeling. I hope you felt it before. I hope you feel it today. And yet most of us trade that divine experience for a cheap knockoff version. We're happy just to receive the approval of man. We obsess over what the people next to us think about us, what our parents think about us, what people online we don't even talk to think about us. We measure our worth and our value by the standard of those in the room around us, forsaking what God thinks about us because we are so desperate for approval, we will take it from anywhere as long as we can get it. It's not a bad desire. I believe it's a desire God places in all of us because all of us want to be accepted. All of us want to be approved. All of us want to be acknowledged. All of us want to be affirmed. It's not a bad desire, it's just a misplaced one. We look for it in all the wrong places. So as I prepare to close, I just want to talk about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Because you begin to see God's design for walking in the pleasure of the master. So here's the story real quick. We won't read it, I'll summarize it. There's a master, he's going away on a long journey. The master represents God in the story. And this master, before he goes away for his journey, he calls three servants unto him. And to the first servant, he gives five bags of silver, or five talents, as they're called. To the second, he gives two bags of silver. To the third, he gives one bag of silver. And then he departs on his journey. And the servants who received five talents and the servant that received two talents, they take what they were given by their master, and they put it to good use. They invest it in the interests of their master. And they see if they can take what they have and make more. And both of them do. They double what they get. The one who had five gets five more. The one who had two, he comes back with two more. And when the master returns from the journey, he calls his servants some to himself to find out what they did with what he gave them. 
And when the man who had five comes back with ten, and the man who had two comes back with four, the master says to them this in Matthew 25, 23. He says, well done, my good and my faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Those of us who take whatever it is that God has given us, however big or however little, and align it to his interests, and we don't bury it like the third man did who got one talent. He just buried it. He didn't want to lose it. He didn't want to mess it up. He was afraid. But if we take whatever it is, a lot or a little, and we put it to work for God, we believe that the Spirit of God will breathe on it and see a good return on it. If we align our interests to the Father, when he comes back, he will give you that well done. And when you get that well done, you get to enter into the joy of the master, the pleasure of your father. And that's the only pleasure you should be after in this life. Can I tell you? Because it's the only one that satisfies. Listen, here's what I know. What you do in life doesn't always get a well done on earth. The way you sacrifice, the way you serve, the way you give of yourself for others, the way you provide, the way you care for your children, the way you teach, the way you work, the way you discipline yourself for righteousness and you, and you don't give your body away and you don't take advantage of other people's bodies. When you live the way God has called you to live and designed you to live and made you to live in the secret places, you don't always get a well done. When you're long suffering and you lay down your interests for the interests of another, you don't always get a well done on earth. But you get one from heaven. And there's a moment that is coming where you will stand before your heavenly father. And there are a couple different things that he can say to you. And my prayer is that for each and every one of us, we would hear the words, well done. Come on in and share my joy. Come and experience the goodness of God. You see, when we seek the approval of man, we find that man approves all kinds of things that God disproves of. No one will sign off on your sin like another person. Hello? Why you gotta be careful who you take advice from and who your best friends are. Because if they're not speaking the word of God, they will tell you what you want to hear and you will feel validated in decisions that are not godly. Man approves all kinds of stuff that God disproves. But the good news is God approves all kinds of stuff that man doesn't see and man disproves. This is one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn in my entire life. If I can just be honest for a moment, if I can be transparent, one of my biggest battles is over the approval of man. I want so badly for you all to like me. I just be honest. Like it drives, it, it has the potential to impact every decision I make. I'm the youngest of four boys, so I always felt left out and other and not a part of the crew. So all I want to do is be on the inside and be a part of things. And the whole story of my whole life is God breaking me and breaking me and breaking me over and over and over so he could rebuild me. So that I would not put my trust, my hope, or my satisfaction or my worth in what you think about me. Listen, I pour my life out for Jesus and I've had to decide, am I going to do it for man? Am I going to do it for you? And I've just had to come to the point where I go, I can't please man. 
I can't serve you because at the end of my days, I stand before one. I've chosen to serve one. There's only one person that I need to look in my eyes at the end of my life and say, well done. Because I gave you a little, but you did a lot with it. So come and share in the joy of your master. I want my well done more than I want life itself. Because I would rather be with God in his approval than to be here without it. And when you get to the end of your season of sacrifice, the end of your season of suffering, when this challenge that you're going through ends, and it will end, I know it feels like it'll never end, it will end, there is another side of it. When you have sacrificed, you've disciplined yourself, when you have served your wife doing things she'll never see or know or recognize, when you have blessed your husband by doing all these chores, all these things, he just, he never has to think about why the house is so clean. He just assumes his house cleans itself. And he's never once thank you. When your kids who never say thank you, who never honor you, never appreciate you. When your employer, you're doing the little things, helping them save big money and all that, but no one ever sees it. When you are pouring your life out in the secret places, the places that are hidden from man, I need you to know our God is called El Roy, the God who sees. He sees you in the quiet place, in the dark place, and in the hidden place. He sees you in the place of sacrifice and in the place of suffering. And at the end of your life, you'll stand before him and he will say, sister, I saw you. I saw every moment. I saw every tear. I saw every sleepless night. I saw everything you did. Well done. Come. Come, come. We have for us the greatest gift waiting, which is the full pleasure of the fullness of God. And the glory of our God is that he does not make us wait for eternity to experience it. He gives us his spirit now. That internal voice that lets us know when we're wandering way left, or when we're right on track with God. God is with you. He's with you. Do you feel like you want all the wrong things? Do you feel like you can't act right? You just cannot behave. You just cannot stop. Do you feel like God is always mad at you? That God is always disappointed in you? That is the lie of the devil trying to pull you out of the grace of your heavenly father who loves you so much. And if you could quiet the noise for a moment and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you would realize that it is God who is in you, causing you to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm not just looking for a well done at the end of my life. I'm looking for a well done today. And before I lay my head down on my pillow, I go to God and I ask him, how do we do? And you get that well done. You go and get that well done.